Well, good morning, Milton Bible Church. It's great to be together again at NBC Church Online. And uh, there are a lot of things happening in the world, and we want to make sure that we're in prayer and we are uh, participating as the people of God as we ought to be. So let me just ask you uh, to pray for a couple things. First of all, would you pray for the United States of America? Uh, this is, was, has been such an important time, and it's such an important election. And we want to pray for uh, a sense of stability across that great nation. The, the, this has probably been one of the most important elections in certainly my lifetime and in this generation. And the whole world has watched this week as events have unfolded. And so I'm going to ask you to be praying for our brothers and sisters in the U.S., be praying for this great nation um, as it influences not just Canada, but it really is a world influencer. And so let's be in prayer for them. Another thing I would like you to pray for is to pray for Rachel Langford as she has begun uh, ministry back on staff at Milton Bible Church. Uh, we welcomed her back last Sunday, but we want to make sure that each and every person knows about that, and uh, we want uh, you to participate in that as well. So we're excited about that. Let's pray to, together, and then we will get into God's Word. So thank you, Lord, for your Word, and we pray, Lord, as we look into your Word, that we would see you more clearly, that we would get... Uh, not a vague picture of you or an out-of-focus picture of you, but we would get a picture of you that is truly who you are and who you said you are. And so we just give you praise, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would open your word to us now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, at my house, I've got a shed that's at the back of the house, and that shed has a hole about this big in the ground right uh, at the side of it. And over the years, we have seen so many critters going in down that hole and out of that hole. We have seen possums. We have seen rabbits. We have seen skunks galore. Our neighbors love us for that. And uh, we have just seen all kinds of things. But <clears throat> I'm not sure what all is living under there right now. And of course, most of them, to be honest, come out at night. They come out in the evening or in the wee hours of the night. And so it's been impossible for me to really understand how much life is happening in that uh, kind of what we call an apartment building under our shed. And so what we've done, or what I have, is I have this camera. It's actually a bird cam. Because I really want to find out what is happening under my shed. I really want to find it. I won't really want to see clearly the number of critters that we have living under there. So I'm going to hook this up. And I'm going to look for the critters that we have that are coming out of there. Because I want to get a clear idea, a clear picture of the biosphere that is actually living under the shed at the back of our small backyard. We want to see things clearly. And you know what? That is the whole point of this series, is we want to see Jesus clearly. We really do. We want to see him clearly for who he is. And that is the whole point of this sermon series. So in this message today, 
we are going to look at two different views of Jesus and the cross. The way we see the cross is the way we see eternity. So it is incredibly important, this lesson today. It's so important that we see the cross correctly. And I'm not talking about two pieces of wood, you know, nailed together. What I'm talking about is the death of Jesus and what it truly means. And it is so important that we get this right. You know, I need to do a small review from last week. So just while you're watching, just put up your hand if you weren't here. You know, you didn't see last week's sermon. Just put your hand up right now. All right, I see that hand. And if, you know, you put your hand up, I want to speak to you right after the meeting this morning. All right. I uh, wonder why you weren't here. All right. The way we see the cross is very important. Jesus takes, so, so what I want to do is I want to do a bit of review. I'm going to do a bit of review, and then we're going to get into uh, the passage in which Jesus is seeking to make clear to his disciples who he is and what he's about and the message of the cross. So what, what happened, we, we saw last week that in Mark chapter 8, Jesus takes his disciples to Bethsaida. For the last seven chapters, chapters 1 to 7, it has been action-packed, non-stop, teaching, miracles, demonstrations of power, the kingdom coming, um, <clears throat> one thing after another, uh, demons cast out. And, and what it's been, it's been seven chapters of the disciples watching Jesus demonstrate the power of the king of kings. So now Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, takes his disciples to Bethsaida for the healing of a blind man. But something seems to go wrong because Jesus had to touch him twice. Now, this has never happened before. Jesus spits on the man's eyes and he touches him and he asks the man a question. What do you see? And the man replies honestly, I see people walking like trees. I see people walking like trees. The man really doesn't see clearly. So Jesus touches him a second time and the man sees perfectly clearly. Well, why twice? Why would Jesus do that? He had never done that before. What went wrong with this miracle? Well, Nothing went wrong. You see, Jesus now in Mark chapter 8, he's turning his attention to his disciples. This miracle is more about the disciples than about this blind man. Because Jesus is walking his disciples right into a parable of their lives through the demonstration of this blind man gaining sight. Even though they had been with Jesus for many months and they had seen his power demonstrated, they still didn't see Jesus clearly. Even in Mark chapter 4, the disciples and Jesus, they're out on the sea. This wind and the storm comes up. The disciples who are seasoned sailors are terrified for their lives. They, they, they um, wake Jesus up and they say, hey, you know, we're in great danger. And Jesus calms the storm and they look at Jesus more terrified of him than they were of the storm. And they say to one another, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? They still don't have a clear picture of who Jesus is. So now he wants to bring the disciples into a greater revelation. 
He wants to bring their sight into focus. And so on the journey away after uh, the healing of the blind man, he asked him two questions. The first question is this, who do people say that I am? And they say, people say that you are Elijah. People say that you are John the Baptist. People say that you are one of the prophets. They put Jesus into this incredibly elite category. And then Jesus asked them a second question, and who do you say that I am? And it's no wonder that Peter pipes up first. He's always the first one to talk. And he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter got it right. Because Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But Peter was still not in full focus because Jesus needed to explain and define what it meant to be the Messiah, the Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at today as Jesus seeks to make this more clearly. Jesus seeks to make himself clearer to the disciples. And we're going to take a look at two perspectives or two views on Jesus. The first one is expressed by Peter. It's a view of the cross that is folly. And it really rejects the way of the Lord. So what I want to do is I want to read uh, Mark chapter 8 verses 31 to 33. As Jesus begins to teach them to bring clarity to who he is and the cross that he is about to bear. So Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, a couple words are pretty important in this passage. In fact, this little uh, exchange is jam-packed, so let's unpack it a little bit at a time. Jesus is trying to bring them along and to help see them clearly. And he uses the phrase, the son of man. The son of man must suffer and die. And Jesus uses this term to describe himself, and on a basic level, it simply means a human being. You know, an ordinary person, uh, the son of man, just like others. But when Jesus tells them in verse 31 what is actually going to happen, it changes the sense of the phrase son of man. Because what will be ringing in the ears of the disciples is Daniel chapter 7, where the son of man is brought before the ancient of days, God himself. And God himself gives the son of man power and authority to rule as the king and to give him all things as his kingdom in which to rule and reign. And what Peter would be hearing and the disciples would be hearing, they'd be hearkening back to the son of man of Daniel chapter 7 and this prophetic word that, that Daniel brought and saw. And so what this does, this takes this phrase to a whole new level And Jesus is saying, he is God. And Peter is thinking, he's God. He's going to be sitting on the throne of David. 
There's no more Roman oppression. There's going to be a restoration of <clears throat> the Torah and the temple and freedom for the Jewish people. There'll be no more Gentile corruption or interference from outsiders. So, Jesus, so Peter rebukes Jesus. And the word rebuke is a really strong word. In actuality, it's a word that's often used to rebuke demonic forces. And, uh, Jesus, so, and, and so what happens, when that happens, <clears throat> Jesus sees that the disciples are watching, so he rebukes Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And he declares that Peter's view and words are more aligned with the king of darkness and the world of the demonic than God's plan. You see, in Peter's world, there's no suffering, there's only success. There's no sickness, there's only healing. There's no sacrifice, there's only comfort. What a misunderstanding. It's easy to misunderstand things, isn't it? I mean, don't you find it easy for people to have misunderstandings? I mean, has anyone watching ever been married? How can two people look at exactly the same situation and one of them be completely wrong? Let me tell you an illustration, a story. Frank Koch, who's a naval officer, reports this. <clears throat> he recorded this story. It's a, a battleship had been at sea on its routine maneuvers under heavy weather for days. The captain, who is worried about the deteriorating weather conditions, stayed on the bridge to keep an eye on all the activities. And one night, the lookout on the bridge suddenly shouted, Captain, a light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain asked, is it stationary or moving astern? The lookout replied that it was stationary. Now, what that meant was it was coming directly at them. That, that light wasn't moving. It was, just, it was going straight towards them. And it meant that the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with another ship. And the captain immediately ordered his signalman to signal to the, other, to, to the ship, we are on a collision course. I advise you to change course 20 degrees east. Back came the response from the other ship. You change your course 20 degrees west. Agitated by the arrogance of the response, the captain asked a signalman to shoot out another message. I am a captain. You change your course 20 degrees east. Back came the response. I am a second-class seaman. You had better change your course 20 degrees west. The captain was furious this time. He showed it to the signalman to send back a final message. I am a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees east right now. And back came the flashing response. I am a lighthouse. The captain duly changed his course. Let me ask you a question. What is your understanding of Jesus and the cross? What is your understanding of Jesus and the cross? Because there's more than one in the church today. There's more than one that's being preached around the nation. One prevalent view of the cross is that Jesus' basic role is one of provider. 
that his purpose is to provide health, wisdom, wealth, and plenty. And where is the cross in that message? And we see that being preached constantly uh, throughout our nation and throughout the nations these days. Where is the cross in that? Well, it's there, but it's in the distance. It's way at the back. Barely, you can barely see it. Another movement that's prevalent today is something called red-letter Christians, where they believe Jesus is a greater teacher, philosopher. Uh, uh, he has great wisdom, and they model their lives after the red letters of Jesus. But the cross is almost non-existent in their teaching. Just let the red letters count. Try to be good persons, just like Jesus. And then a few years ago, there was a study that revealed the thinking of American university students. And I believe it reflects even the Canadian uh, Christian culture today of this next generation. And they concluded that this next generation's belief system could be entitled moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. So that their view of God and the things of God was moralistic. It's about being good. It's about being a good person, not a bad person. That it's therapeutic. That it's got to be good for me. That it's got to be helpful to me. And if it doesn't give me success or lift me up, and, and, and if it doesn't bring me satisfaction, well, then, you know, I'm not going to follow it. And then it's deistic, deistic, which, and deism simply means that they believe in God, uh, but that God is not here, but God is distant. God is somewhere, uh, you know, in the distance. God is, you know, out there, but he's not really involved in my daily life. Do you know what? We have too many Christians that believe in the the preaching of many churches today that it's all about me. As long as I'm happy, that's the main thing. That Jesus' purpose is to make my marriage work, to bring me success in business, to find personal fulfillment and self-actualization. As long as we're nice and we're good, we're going to go to heaven. Jesus is here, bottom line, to make my life better. There's no cross in that package. And Jesus says, you know what? That is not going to work. That's the Peter model. That's the Peter model. But Jesus also presents a second way, a second way to see Jesus on the cross. And it's found in verses 34 to 38 of Mark chapter 8. Let me read it to you. In verse 34, Jesus says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This model 
that Jesus talks about right now is not going to fit into the Peter model. Not the model that Peter had in mind. That he was going to come to die all in the plan of God to bear our sin. And that is exactly what he did. They had to be shocked as well when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And you know, as Christians, we have this image, especially around Easter, of Jesus picking up his cross. You know, especially on Good Friday, Jesus carrying his cross, you know, and he's carrying it towards the hill of Golgotha. And what, Pete, what Jesus does in this passage is he turns around and he looks at his disciples and says, hey guys, you pick one up too. It's time for you to pick one up. This is what needs to happen. This is what is going to happen if you are going to follow me. This blows away the people who say Jesus is here to make my life better. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die and you are going to need to die too. And then in verse 35, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What he's saying is, listen, if you want to save your life, you have to first lose it. The life that you live can't be for yourself anymore if you are going to be my disciple. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And if we take a look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, you know, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, when you're worried about things and stuff and, you know, things happening in your life, make God your first priority and all these things will be added unto you. Listen, you have to live life selflessly, sacrificially, serving God. And others, and not trying to hold on to your life. Because if you try to hold on to it, you are certainly going to lose it. That's what verse 35 means. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. It's a fascinating paradox of the gospel. But what we don't seem to see it clearly so many times because today people want to believe in Jesus, but they fit church attendance in whenever it's convenient for them. And I don't know how many thousands and thousands of Christians across Canada, and maybe even in our own church, are hiding behind the pandemic when God is calling them, do not sit, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You see... It's okay when it's convenient for us, we'll fit it in. And whenever we get into difficulty, as long as we know, we, you know the right place to go, that's really what Jesus is about. And Jesus said, understand this, you got it all wrong. If you want a full life, you have got to die. Life is not about accumulating and building and gaining more, as Jesus says in Matthew. He's saying to them, listen, die you want to live you need to die but Peter didn't get it so Jesus said to him get behind me 
In fact, in Matthew, Jesus adds another statement. He says of Peter, you are a hindrance to me. Now, the word hindrance, that's an incredibly strong word. Have you ever asked God, God, am I a hindrance to you? Am I a hindrance to the work of the Holy Spirit and the moving of the Holy Spirit and your desire to bring your kingdom, to see your kingdom come? You know, may it never be said of us that we are actually a hindrance to the gospel and to the advance of the kingdom. We never want that word used of us, the word hindrance. And what Jesus is saying is this, if you want to live, you've got to die. I don't know how many people I've met over the years. I'm now entering my 60s. And I don't know how many people I've met over the years who are at the top of their game. They're making lots of money. They're at the top of their profession. They're in a place where they can really, I mean, I sat down with, you know, a fellow not too long ago who basically said, you know what, my business is in such a place that is basically running itself and I am making so much money and it is just pouring in and it's exactly where I want it to be so I can do whatever I want to do and basically be bankrolled to do whatever it is I want to do. Cars, travel, uh, sports, you know, golf, whatever it is. And yet as we pressed into that conversation, he confessed to me that, you know, reaching the pinnacle of his profession, number one really in the country of what he does, uh, there's just this great sense of emptiness. There's this great sense of unfulfillment. Once he's got to the top, it was really something that, that has really not been all that helpful. For those who make anything other than Jesus, the most important number, thing, number one thing in their life, they are destined to live an empty life. In 1955, there were five men that went to Ecuador. They took their families and they wanted to take the gospel to a tribe that did not know Jesus. The men had backgrounds in medicine, in law, in business. They had come from, some of them from very prominent families, very successful. They were filled with promise. And for six months, they dropped gifts from a plane onto a beach in order to try to build a bridge with a very hostile um, tribe. Uh, in Ecuador. And as they did that over the last, uh, over, over that six months, they, they sought, you know, by dropping these gifts to, to, to build some goodwill. And then in January of 1956, the plane landed on that beach and all five men died on the end of a spear. And some people said, what a waste. You know, what a tragedy. What a horrible thing that has happened. And in fact, some of those wives would later return to Ecuador. And those wives would lead a number of those tribesmen, even the chieftains, to Christ. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, one of the wives, she records that story. And her husband, Jim Elliot, wrote these words uh, some years earlier. It was one of his mantras for life. He wrote, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What a wonderful statement. It is at the cross where we find our life. You see, our life, it begins at the cross. We pick up our cross, each one of us, together. And we pick up our cross together and we go forward in God. We follow Jesus. And we live not to make money, not to climb ladders, or to accumulate things, not to feel good about ourselves, not to invite Jesus in on occasion. You know, when we have a problem in our lives, he invites us to be his disciples and to die. And in dying, we live. So I want to challenge you with two things as we close today. I want to challenge you with two things. The first uh, thing I want to challenge you with is to kind of respond uh, to receive Jesus as your Savior, to come to the cross. Billy Graham used to have a statement, uh, a thing he always liked to say, and he would say, whenever you see a cross without Jesus on it, that is God declaring, I love you. And he often quoted behind that, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is at the cross where it begins. It is at the cross where we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died so that we might have life, the one who died to so that we might find forgiveness of our sins and be reconciled to the Father and to fully live in him. So may I encourage you to turn from your sin and accept Jesus Christ as Messiah, Savior today and live fully for him. The second thing I'd like you to kind of challenge you with is perhaps you have been a Christian for a while, and over the years, the cross has been perhaps pushed to the side. And our walk with Jesus has become more of a ritual than a relationship. And our love for Christ has become stale. And we're seeking to find love and fulfillment in other ways, perhaps in career, perhaps in accumulating, perhaps in travel, perhaps in buying new toys or playing new games, or perhaps in relationships that really are unhealthy and not helpful, perhaps even in addictions that need to be tossed. And somehow, we have lost the message of dying. So let me encourage you, to get reconciled today, to get reconciled to Christ today. The Apostle Paul, I love what he said, for he said, for I've been crucified with Christ for, so that it is not me who lives, but, but it is Christ who lives in me. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for each and every person who's taken the time to listen to this sermon who's taking the time to listen and to hear your voice. 
And I pray that we would see the cross more clearly, that we would see you, Jesus, more clearly, and that we would respond in a way that you have called us to. And so I do pray, Lord, for those who maybe have not trusted you as Savior, that they would give their hearts and their lives to you, and that they would say, today I want to give up my life and give it to you and to receive you as my Messiah the one who died so that I might live, the one who shed his blood so that my sins might be forgiven. And I would just encourage you to pray that prayer and to receive Christ as Savior. And perhaps you're listening and it's time to get reconnected. And you need to say, you know, uh, it's time for me to die to self and to live for Jesus knowing that in the death of self and the receiving of the fullness of Christ, it is there that we find the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. And so I just pray, Lord, that if there's any souls that are lost, even within your house, that you would call them back to you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And I would ask, Lord, that you would transform us, that as we see you clearly, it brings transformation in our lives and changes us forever. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you once again for listening and for coming and being a part of NBC Church Online. Trust you have a great week. God bless you. Make sure you take time. Uh, Remembrance Day to remember and to give God the glory. Amen. Bless you guys.